In case you haven't heard, it's almost bash time. Check out thebashhoops.com for the full schedule, ticket information, and more at thebashhoops.com and on social media at thebashhoops. And if you haven't already, check out teachhoops.com slash 816basketball for unbelievable resources for coaches of all levels at teachhoops.com slash 816basketball. Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris de Blasio. Pleasure to be here with you as always, Brian, on the Greatest Games Podcast. A chance for us to catch up with basketball coaches from around the country and have them tell us about their greatest game. As always, it can be their time as a head coach, an assistant coach, a CYO coach, just whatever game they consider to be their greatest game. You know, sometimes there are times that I wish our listeners could listen to the pre-show chatter. I'm not sure this would be one of them, but, uh, you know, maybe we, we do have it recorded. Maybe one day when we get our Patreon up and running, we can drop it on there and uh, have some fun with some folks. But anyway, I digress. We are going to the state of Pennsylvania for the very first time on the greatest games podcast, the number of States that we've been able to reach into and touch and talk to coaches. It keeps growing and growing. And we are going to the division three school of Franklin and Marshall college in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, the head coach of the diplomats. I hope I'm correct on the diplomats, Nick Nache. Welcome to the greatest games podcast. Yep. That is accurate. We are the diplomats, um, out of Franklin and Marshall college. So, um, definitely appreciate you guys having me on, uh, no pressure, I guess, being the first uh, guy in the state of Pennsylvania. I'm a Jersey guy at heart, but been in Pennsylvania now for, uh, going on about nine years. So hopefully I don't, uh, disappoint the Commonwealth here. There you go. The Commonwealth, Brian, do you want a real tough question? Trivia question right off the bat. You know, I'm going to miss it. So go ahead. Uh, could I ask you the four States that are Commonwealths in the United States? Oh gosh, you could. But uh, <laughs> Pennsylvania is one of them. Yep, I'm a, I would say Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, Do you know the other three? Surely don't. Go ahead, Chris de Blasio. Uh, is Virginia, Kentucky, and Massachusetts? Virginia, you Kentucky, know. and Massachusetts. That's what Do you, you know. That coach, Shay? I would have been able to get Virginia. I'm not sure about the other two. <laughs> it's always a educating as well, Brian. What I'm really proud of you is that you pronounced Lancaster correctly. Well, thank you very much. And I tell you what, I, that has been hammered into me here in South Carolina. We have a Lancaster, South Carolina. And uh, for years, I said Lancaster. And when I got to college, it was quickly, quickly corrected by the boys from L.A. So anyway, so thank you very much, Chris de Blasio. So I'm, I'm impressed with it because a lot of people that, you know, they butcher that all the time. So you learn pretty quickly living around here. Lancaster is the way to pronounce it. So there is it's pronounced the same way over by you. It is. It is. Interesting. Okay. If, you, if those fans that are really hardcore fans of the show will go back and hit that, that previous 15 to hear me, I stutter just for a second, like, oh, am I going to say this right? And just go ahead and just let it fly Lancaster. So anyway, a little bit of a inside look there. Well, Brian, do you really want me to get into history and we could talk about, I'm a graduate of York College of Pennsylvania, uh, Coach oh. Nache, just, just down the road from you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, York and Lancaster were the two houses of the roses, the war of the roses in England. And that, when they were brought over to Pennsylvania, Lancaster is the red rose city. York is the white rose. City. Forget it. Okay. It's too much. Coach Nache, 
tell us about your time there in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, or what has led you in your career to get to where you are there in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Yeah. So it's hard to believe how, how long I've actually been here. Um, it's one of those things that feels like it should probably be about five or six years and it's going on uh, year nine now. And, um, I, uh, and really started, it all started for me, uh, at Rutgers university as a student manager there. That's what kind of got my foot, uh, in the door to being exposed to college basketball and being around a college basketball program. I had a feeling I might want to coach, uh, initially I kind of thought, Oh, well teach and, and, and coach in the high school. And after being around the college game, um, I just kind of knew like, that's, this is what I want to do. And like a lot of naive student managers uh, at that level, you think you graduate from there, you send out a bunch of resumes, you probably land a video coordinator spot and, you know, fast forward some years, you, you know, you're working on a, on a division one bench or something. It's just not how it works. And uh, fortunately for me though, it led me down a path that, um, uh, you know, I wouldn't want it any other way. And my first job out was at Hartwick college up in Oneonta, New York. Um, I was, uh, thrown into the fire there for people that don't know much about division three that's, you know, we don't have really big staff. So, uh, I ended up getting hired by first year head coach, uh, Todd McGinnis, who's now the head coach at Case Western Reserve. Um, one of the best things that could happen, uh, for me, he's a, a great friend to this day, a mentor to me, but he just, I, I was able to get involved in everything from a coaching standpoint. So, uh, the Rutgers experience was great to, to be at workouts and practice and travel and, this was then like thrown into the fire with, well, you need to recruit, you know, and, and you need to get on the phones and uh, worked really hard and, and, you know, worked assisted with scheduling all, all things like that. And after one year um, had a chance to take a graduate assistant spot at Lemoyne college division two. So I went division one, division three, division two. And then after two years there uh, also, you know, really uh, was the head coach, uh, Steve Evans uh, assistant and, and me as the GA, I, I was, able to do everything that an assistant coach would do at that level and recruiting and scouting. And, um, fortunately in two, after two years, um, through, uh, some connections really with like Todd McGinnis, um, I got an opportunity to interview at Franklin Marshall. And, uh, I, at first I kind of thought he was kidding cause it's, you know, a full-time coach assistant coaching position. And, um, I remember driving up to Lancaster and, and, sitting across from coach Robinson, who for, for people that don't know, he's the winningest coach in the history of division three. Um, you know, he's ended his career with 967 wins. Um, and even at the time I was interviewing that many years ago, he was the winningest coach. So it just gives you an idea of his longevity and career success. And so, you know, I was nervous cause I really could feel being around there. I wanted that um, spot and, and we kind of hit it off. I remember coach Robinson calling me, I had a bunch of nerves and, you know, he's, he's basically talking as if like, uh, you know, I was going to be offered the job. He started talking like specifics on salary and things. And I, I had been working as a, you know, part-time or GA and I, like he could have told me whatever um, I was taking that job. And, you know, I, I was 25 years old, you know, he's talking about benefits and stuff and health benefits and retirement stuff and all, all sorts of things. And I'm just like, when do you need me there? <laughs> you know, and, and just kind of hit the ground running and, uh, unbelievable, uh, experience working and learning from him. I actually just spoke to him today for like an hour and a half, uh, earlier, just to kind of catch up on things, uh, everything from what's going on with recruiting to the current state of what's going on in our conference and, 
uh, also some Philadelphia Eagles football, which we both share a passion for. So a um, little bit of everything on that call. But um, I spent a number of years as an assistant and then actually had an opportunity a few years back to serve as an acting head coach for two games. Then uh, two seasons ago, ended up filling in and coaching for what amounted to basically the first half of the season, first 12 games. And then last year, coached this, uh retired about a week before the season started. And so I was the interim head coach um, last season and went through the interview process. There was nothing guaranteed to me. I had to go through legitimate uh, search and, and process there. So that was uh, definitely nerve wracking, but uh, it all worked out and I couldn't be more happy to be uh, the head coach here uh, officially as of, as of May. Uh, couldn't pick kind of a weirder time to get into a head coaching position with everything that's going on, but um, just something I'm really, really thankful for. And, and uh, there's so many people along the way that, that helped me get to here. Um, some of which I mentioned and alluded to. Brian, not to, uh, and Nick, not to, not to talk too much about coach Robinson, but he's obviously influential in this story. Um, just going through it quickly. I believe it's 28, 20 win seasons that coach Robinson had at Franklin and Marshall. And with those 900 and so was it 967 wins. It's not like he has 967 wins and just compiled them. He has a winning percentage of 728. <laughs> so, uh, obviously you got a chance to work for him for a long time and replacing him as part of your story. How do you become your own coach and not worry about replacing someone like coach Robinson? Yeah, no, good question. Well, one, one thing, just to put in perspective, his level of success, um, you know, uh, so first off, you know, you have, it's almost there five final fours, uh, unbelievable amount of conference championships, 26 All-Americans, uh, just the sheer number of wins. I think the, the consistency of the program is what he's most proud of. And, you know, if, if I were to go undefeated for 30 seasons straight, it wouldn't equal the amount of wins he has, just to kind of put that in perspective. So um, pretty, pretty lofty uh, shoes to fill. But I'm uh, always through, and I think it's from working for him, um, he, he's, I think what makes him such a great coach is he, he really instills confidence in people, players, staff, um, and he, he's an unbelievable motivator, but in, in building that confidence, like he's made me a coach, like helped me to find my voice as a coach. And, um, like really is a big reason why I have confidence that, you know, I think I can be a great uh, successor to him here. And it's that fine. I think it's a great blend. I think I'm uniquely kind of positioned to, to kind of bridge that gap of the unique winning tradition of the program, but also to kind of take it uh, and, and, and mold it in kind of the type of program that I would like to have. And so there's a lot of things that obviously I'm going to, uh, I'd be foolish not to take a lot of the lessons I've learned from him, but I've always been really comfortable at who I am and what I believe, uh, on the basketball court, uh, just through preparation and having the number of years experience I have. And, and, um, so I, I'm very comfortable in what, you know, kind of what direction I want to go as like anybody, you have some nerves, especially now about, you know, sliding over. Uh, the nice thing is I've had a year as interim, I've had a year as acting head coach to kind of 
um, you know, so, you know, in terms of just running practice or, or, um, you know, the, the basketball stuff's the easy part. It's, I think the hardest part of the transition is everything else that comes with becoming a head coach. It's that accountability to everything and the all encompassing, you know, uh, you know, sort of, uh, feel to being a head coach, you know, everything, um, you know, fundraising, academic advisement, um, community relations, uh, just alumni relationships. And, um, the nice thing is I've been at FNM for a number of years. So I feel like I have a little bit of a head start on some of that stuff. Um, but it's, you know, it's definitely, uh, you feel the weight of sliding over, I think, uh, the, those few inches and you really don't, uh, I, as prepared as you can be. It, it's so true. I know people talk about, it, you're never really fully prepared for being a head coach. It's just, it, it's, um, it's hard to really, uh, have a sense of, of the magnitude of everything that you're now responsible for that you feel, uh, you know, you have to be on, on all the time for all, all these people, players and alums and administrators and, and everything you, you need to answer the bell at all times. And so it's, you know, uh, obviously that's an adjustment. I am a young head coach. I'm not, you know, I don't claim to have all the answers, so I'm just willing to kind of, uh, take my lumps and learn along the way. But, um, I feel really good about, you know, the program I'm in, I, I, people are like, Oh, it's crazy to follow somebody with that kind of success. I look at it as like, I know, I know we can be really good here. And so to me, it's exciting. Um, I like the, that kind of pressure. I like the expectations. Um, and so, you know, it's something that I'm, I'm really uh, excited about. I know we didn't talk about this before the show, but it's almost like we, we rehearsed this, but this answering the bell that you just mentioned, that was going to lead into uh, my question for, for you as a, as a former manager, you know, for me as a, as a former manager, that's what we did, right? Even as a former video coordinator down there, Chris de Blasio, we always, what? Answered the bell, no matter how late we were up the night before flying in or taking a bus in, getting the guys up early for class, we getting back there for workouts, for practice. We always had to answer the bell. And so I've got, it's a two-part question. One is just kind of the overarching, how did that experience as a student manager just continually over and over and over again, answering the bell, how is that helping you now as a head coach? And then the second part is, I'm assuming you have managers now with your program. How do you view those managers now that you have been a former manager? It's been a long time since we've had somebody on this show that's a head coach that has had some manager experience. So a long two-part question there for you, coach. Yeah, so first part um, on just what being a manager kind of does. So it's just um, – no job is too small. You know, I think managers that do it well, you just, you want to be a part of it. You're so appreciative of the opportunity to be a part of a program. Um, and like, I know for me, I just wanted to, you know, I got some great advice along the way. I had a lot of people that um, really gave me, it's just about earning that trust and getting the opportunity and, and it helps you gain experience. You don't realize you're gaining some of the experience you're gaining at the time. And it might seem, something really small. It might not seem like anything, but I can't tell you how many times it's like, like looking back, once you start coaching, like just having that experience from the unique thing about being a manager is you're, you're still in college. You're kind of close to the players, right. And, and you, you can see what they're going through, but you're also there behind the scenes and seeing what the coaches are going through. And so it's a really unique perspective. And so when you graduate while a lot, you know, um, because I didn't play in some ways I had a head start on, some of the coaching side of things. Cause I got to see how it was done, the recruiting, uh, the workouts, the, you know, um, just the operation side of basketball is such a huge part of everything. Like everybody, 
you know, wants to talk about X's and O's and everything, but the, so much of the job of college coaching is the other stuff. And so you get, you really gain an appreciation for the other stuff and the organization it takes to have a successful program. And so you just learn that stuff. You do, you know, you just got to, you know, as a manager, you want to uh, be seen and not heard, you know, and then hopefully you gain up enough trust and that it pays off for you. You just, you want to, you know, keep working and keep working and hope that you can develop some trust and relationships that, that pay off. And because, because at the time you just, you don't know if this career is going to work out. All you hear is the horror stories and how you know how you, you know how tough it is. You don't really know how tough it is till you've been through it. And I've seen a lot of really good um, coaches that just, you know, they'd be excellent. They're just maybe not the right place, right time. And so it's all about creating your own luck and, and doing enough to kind of put yourself in position to get lucky enough and then capitalize on those opportunities. And, and I think being a manager, um, kind of helps you see that sooner than later and it humbles you. Um, and so, yeah, it's a huge, it's huge. Like I'm not diminishing my degree from Rutgers at all. Um, loved it. Great education, but there's no question the everyday and, and the hours I spent at the rack are what's really what I remember most. The people that, you know, the friends I made, the other managers, some of which are still in, in coaching today. Th- those things are what were most valuable really from, from my college experience. Brian, the rack is the Lewis A. Brown Rutgers Athletic Center. Oh, thank you. Which is where the Rutgers men and women's basketball teams play. So for non-New Jersey people, and when you said the rack, coach, you knew I knew what that was. This is a Jersey guy. One of the best Uh, home courts in the the country. It is. It's a great home court advantage when Rutgers is going well. It really is. Uh, Coach, just briefly talk about um, what you do to work on your craft. Uh, as a coach, the outside things you maybe look for, books to read, clinics to go to, what, what kind of things do you do to become a better coach? Yeah, I, I a love lot of crummy podcasts, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, I love um, I, 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 I love clinics and I love, um, you know, the, the classic like kind of chalk talk with other coaches. Um, I've one thing I really wish I did more of when I was younger um, and had more free time to get around before, uh, you know, you have so many other obligations is I wish I went to more practices. Um, I, I've started getting a habit of trying to get to a few every year. Very helpful. And, and then the other thing is just trying to, I think most coaches are really willing to share. And so I've gotten in a habit after clinics of trying to follow up with coaches that maybe, made a point or something I liked either one to just thank them for sharing it with me, but also to see if they might be willing to share more. And I think when you can get that more, the the unique thing about going to a practice or connecting with certain coaches on an individual level is I think you can get a lot more out of it than just the generic, you know, speaking to a large crowd clinic. And so I've been able to, you know, you know, I think any good coach you're stealing from others. So try to steal a little bit here and there and, I think too, though, with the lens of how it, how it fits with your, your school, your players, with who you're able to recruit. Like I love watching the NBA when I get a chance, I don't watch a lot of it because it really doesn't correlate to helping me too much. You know, like I don't have NBA players I'm coaching. I've got some talented guys, but they're, you know, we're, we're division three players. So um, for me, there's a lot more value in learning from either watching other division three programs that are really successful 
or uh, even division one at that point, you know, college level. I love watching the Ivy and Patriot league um, or two leagues. I watch a lot of big 10, just trying to watch Rutgers. Obviously um, I, I usually record those Rutgers games uh, last year. They were can't miss uh, basketball. Um, and uh, so you try to just take a little bit here and there. Um, I, I just think I, I get more out of, watching the games um, and, and doing my own kind of breakdown or then getting to the source and getting to a coach or getting into a practice. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's as much about the X's and O's. I think it's like how it's taught um, and just certain concepts that um, really might work and be able to translate. But I think you've always got to be on. You've got, it's, it's very hard for me to watch a game as a fan, um, which is why sometimes I really like watching the NBA because I look at that as like, that's more entertainment value for me. Um, but I think you always have to be on, you're always looking at ways to try and make your players better. You're always trying to think of ways to, um, uh, and, and a lot of it's not X and O's. Like a lot of the ones that are really interesting are the ones on all the other stuff. Cause I mentioned to you, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of the everything else in college basketball. And so learning how to best do the everything else, the, the buzzword of the year, two years is culture. Uh, I'm not a big, like, uh, I think it's something you, you, you know, uh, it's a tricky slope for me. I think if you're talking too much about it, you probably don't really have it uh, in your program, to be honest, whether that sounds harsh or not, I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, I think those things and how to best just build an environment and atmosphere around your players that are going to make them really successful. Um, those are the things I'm always trying to learn. Uh, always trying to learn how to do things better. Um, you know, I'm hoping I have a lot of years ahead of me here, um, you know, to, to be a coach and, and I'm not going to get any better if I think I've got all the answers right now. So, so, so true coach. And I, I love all what you're saying there and uh, it, I, yeah, I've got nothing really to add on to that, but let's go ahead and let's take you into our creme de la creme as, as it were the greatest games podcast, you know, this is the name of the podcast. So go ahead and take us in the arena and tell us about your greatest game. Let's, let's really feel it for your greatest game. Yeah. So this was uh, hard for me to, to sit down and, and pinpoint one game. Um, I'm not a great person at reciting moments in games and, and what makes certain game great, games great. What I do have a great recall of is how I felt following a game or maybe the general feel of a game. And so for me, like, and it's not anybody else's probably greatest game, but what stands out for me is my greatest game would probably be um, – the game that uh, what was the conference championship game that I was able to win at F and M uh, back some years ago, that was my first opportunity to get into the NCAA tournament. Um, I had never been around until I got to F and M. I was always in around programs where, you know, we weren't a team in the tournament conversation. And so, you know, I get to F and M and that first year we have a really good team and we end up losing in the conference championship game. Um, after really coming through and, and winning an unbelievable uh, comeback win in the conference semifinals at home. And we end up losing a game in the conference championship. Um, and uh, I don't know how many people are familiar with the division three process for the NCAA tournament. Everybody thinks division one selection Sunday, 30 something at large bids in division three. If you don't win your conference tournament, it is really, really hard to get in. There is just very few at large bids. Um, and the process of how it works is crazy. So I, I knew I'd be sweating. I thought we had a team that was good enough to be in the NCAA tournament. We did not get in. And so 
you know, even at FNM, I'm like, man, you know, the, the standards are so high, the expectations. And I'm like, you know, you start feeling a pre- like I know I personally started feeling a pressure, um, you know, to, to make sure we could get back there and do a great job for Coach Robinson. And and so when we finally got to the conference uh, championship again, um, we're playing against uh, an up and coming Swarthmore team. This was right when they were. Uh, and, and they've just gotten better year after year under Coach uh, Kosmowski. And, and so uh, we're playing a game, and, and we have really usually played very well against them. And, and uh, we took a big lead at the half. And second half, they didn't go away, and they kept coming back. So I, I, I don't know what the lead was. We were up very comfortably, and then the lead just kept shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And I, I, you know, so I'm around some kids who have played in some big NCAA tournament games at FNM. I have not been there. So like, I'm, I'm on the bench, like all of a sudden, like, I, I'll admit it. I was like, this is, this is like my worst nightmare coming true. Like, were you really going to come up short again? Because we were not a team positioned probably to get in that large bid that year. It would have been really close. And so, um, this game ends up being, it gets down to like, I'm pretty sure a one possession game. And just, um, you know, the team had a, a cool, calm and, and you know, um, poised to it. And it's such a reflection of Coach Robinson. There's just this this confidence. And we were at home uh, in Mazer, which is, a, you know, always been an incredibly tough place for people to play. And uh, we ended up pulling out the win. And I just, you know, I remember being struck with, like, it's finally here. Like, something I thought was so difficult and so uh, – you know, it's like everybody, there's some programs they talk about, you know, they go to the NCAA tournament a lot, but it is so hard to do and to finally be a part of a team that put it together to be able to cut down the nets and know you're going to the NCAA tournament. I mean, that's, I still got my shirt from that, you know, in my drawer. I'm never going to lose that one. Uh, I still got a piece of the net, you know, uh, from that championship. So for me, that was personally probably, and, and there's so many great games, um, been a part of uh, the other great feeling is when you advance in the NCAA tournament, we were lucky enough to go to the sweet 16 a couple, a few years ago um, with, uh, you know, really big win, but that, that first time punching the ticket, uh, I, I don't know if I'll ever have that feeling again um, because it had been so many years around college basketball. And I realize there's people that waited a whole lot longer than I have, or maybe never get to experience the NCAA tournament. So I just have an, uh, I do think I had a great appreciation for what that is and, and what that team, you know, uh, accomplished together. And just to be a part of it, uh, to be able to, to coach such a great group, to work for a guy like Coach Robinson, to coach such great players, um, you know, on that team. You know, I, I can, you know, I, I'll remember that team for as long as I'm coaching and as long as I live. So, it's your first NCAA tournament. Like you said, a lot of the other guys have been there. Obviously, Coach Robinson had been there plenty of times. So you win the game, you celebrate, you cut the net down, you go back to the locker room, you leave the arena. What do you do when you leave the arena? What are you thinking? Do you, do you call somebody? Do you call your mom or your dad or, or your girlfriend or your best friend? or like, What are you thinking when you leave the arena? What's that feeling like? When, you let, when it kind of then starts to sink in? Or is it crap? We got to get prepared for an opponent. Well, a lot of my fa- uh, there was a lot of my family there, fortunately. Um, but I was, um, and honestly, I wish I I knew I appreciated it in the moment. I wish I had taken more time to enjoy it. I was already 
like uh, trying to figure out, okay, where might we go? Who might we be playing? That's kind of like how my mind works. And then, you know, so our, our conference championships played on Saturday for college basketball, the, uh, or for division three, the selections are on Monday. And so, um, we did have to wait a couple of days to find out our opponent, but I was crazy and I'd been following the D3 thing. So I'm like, I'm looking and like trying to figure out, okay, I knew we weren't going to be uh, most likely not hosting based on some of the numbers. So just trying to figure out where we could go um, and, and who might we play was, was kind of fun for me. I don't know, maybe I'm crazy. And then it was just, you know, trying to enjoy the moment a little bit, but uh, I was exhausted too. Um, you know, you, you pour so much into the preparation and that season, it, it part of you is exhaling and relieved, um, you know, and, but the, the other, it was hard for me to enjoy it too long. I think, I, I, I think then the relief kicked in and like, okay, let's get ready. Um, you know, let's get ready for, uh, for Monday. I wanted to be prepared um, with as much as I could be. Um, so breaking down the film from Saturday's game, like, you know, okay, what, what do we, what could we have done better? What's, what can, what can help us moving forward? So it was, it was a pretty quick transition for me, I think, to get locked back into that routine of the season. Uh, it's just, it was uh, knowing it was going to be extended. We could kind of stay in that routine. Coach, I'm, I'm struck. I've been able to be fortunate to see some division two, II, division three games. And I believe I'm trying to remember if I've seen an actual NCAA tournament game for division two, II, division three, but we've had kids from, from Ridgeview high school here in South Carolina that go on and, and play division one, play division two, play division three. And I think, I think a lot of, I, I know a lot of our kids get so fixated on saying, I've got to go high division one. I've got to play at that level. It's, it's, it's division one or bust. And so can you tell us more about just the, the atmosphere around a division two or division three, in this case, NCAA tournament bid getting in and what it means to that community, what it means to the kids and obviously what it means to you as coaches. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing like the NCAA tournament. I don't care what level you're at. It's, it's single elimination. It's hard to get there. I mean, there's in division three, there's 400 and I don't even know how many teams, but there's more that in division three than any other level. So when you, when you punch a ticket to the division three tournament, you're, you're uh, among a very select group of people that get to keep playing in March. And uh, I don't care what level you're at. The coaches are just as competitive. The players are just as competitive. They're putting in a ton of time. Uh, the nice, the, the thing about Division Three, especially a place like F and M, is, um, you know, the support from the community, both the campus community and the local community, is is tremendous. We've been, you know, if, we're at a place if we're winning games, people are packing the Mazer Center, um, and I don't care where you go in our league. Our league is really tough to play. If teams are winning, people are showing up. Um, and, and typically in the Centennial Conference, you know, our teams, our better teams, are ranked in the top twenty-five and uh, really c- compete and and do have historically done very well in the NCAA tournament. Um, so, you know, it's, I know for us personally, it's, it's a, it's a fun level of basketball. I mean, you feel like you're, you know, you're in the mix and you can compete for a national title. I mean, that's a great feeling to know you have a chance to be at the top of, of, you know, who's put in front of you. So um, the atmospheres in, in some of these gyms can, can definitely be crazy. I think it depends where you go. Um, there's probably some places with, with better than others, but the, the difference of the division three tournaments too, like division one, if you're watching, like, especially the early rounds, there's some empty arenas there sometimes because everybody plays a neutral site. When you play division three NCAA tournament, there are host schools. 
So you are going into somebody's house that's preparing for an NCAA tournament game, right? And so they usually feel, you know, they're packing it with their fans and their students, like people are getting there. Uh, so you you are playing, uh, you know, you want to avoid being that team. You want to host. You want to avoid being the team that's playing the host because it, it's, you know, you're playing a road game. And uh, so it's a really different type of environment when you go to an MNCA, a Division three tournament. Once you get to the Final Four, it's a neutral site. For years, it had been in Salem, Virginia, which had done a great job. It's now the most recent one was in Fort Wayne, has is going to be running the Division Three Final Fours. But um, it, it's it's very different. Um, and there's you know, it, bottom line, Division One, it's great. I mean, I like it too. I watch the Division One tournament. Who doesn't? You know. Um, so, and, and I don't blame kids. There's no kid growing up in his driveway right now. I guarantee he goes around the country, unless they're maybe in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, there's no kid who's like imagining himself playing at F and M counting down, hitting a buzzer beater. Like it's North Carolina, it's Duke, it's Kansas. Like I was North Carolina, like growing up, you know, if I was imagining and, and so that's what it is. And I didn't know what division three was even up through college because I was at Rutgers. I knew big East division one. Once you get like my first year out working at Hartwick was one of the most fun years I've had in college basketball, right? Because of the people I was around. And so that the, the sense of community, the people you're with is what makes it special. And to those communities that uh, we, we have some, we have some fans. I had a fan email me t- today. There's a guy I, I'm, he's been to almost every F and M home game road game since I've been here. And like for years, he's an alum from decades ago, like, there are some really passionate fans that, and, and it's really cool. And you can have more of a connection, I think, to the people at this level. And the other great thing for our student athletes is they, you know, they can have a great all around experience. Um, and it, you know, the academics, the athletics, everything all in one. And I can just tell you, if you were, if you were in our locker room a few years ago and we advanced to the sweet 16, like that locker room, if you put a camera in there, you wouldn't know, you know, if you didn't know division one, division three, you'd think it was, the big dance, you know, division one that everyone watches the, the excitement in that locker room, that bus ride home, uh, you know, back to Lancaster was, it is a lot of fun with that group. We just couldn't wait to get back out on the court that following weekend. Well, coach, you have just given a great sales pitch for division three basketball. We're going to put that up on the division three website. We're going to market it. We'll send it to the NCAA. It was really funny. You were talking about playing on the road at the NCAA tournament. Brian, I'm not sure if it was uh, – we've had two coaches from Ramapo College and the head coach, Chuck McBreen, and one of his assistants, Pat Gabriel. And uh, they had a great run a couple of years ago where they went to the Final Four. But yeah, this, That's where we lost. But they had they were on the road initially, weren't they? I, I think believe. They, uh, well, I'm trying to remember now. We got sent – we were at Ramapo in that when we – so I talked about that bus ride. That next weekend was out to Ramapo, and it was like a snowstorm um, in Jersey. And we played uh, – we were on the road playing Ramapo in the Sweet 16, and they were undefeated at home. They had like five seniors. They had a really yeah. good team. Um, I want to say – it might've been that year, or the year before kind of preparing for that year, they had to go on the road to a place. I forget which place it is where Brian, I don't know if you remember this, they were saying like the, the fans or the coach, it was like on the court the whole time. And they were worried about it. Like maybe it was the fans underneath the basket somewhere, like right on the court. And they were already like, Oh God, we got to go on the road to this place. And yeah, it's such a unique experience for the division three kids. Oh yeah. It's, it's uh, yeah. They had a packed house there that night. It was, it was, uh, 
that was uh, a, a game. Obviously, I don't have a great taste in my mouth from that game, but it was uh, uh, a great atmosphere. You know, looking back again, I'm just, uh, you know, only one team is going to play the season out and and not have a loss, really. Teams that have you know, and yeah. so I think it, it takes a while, but you start looking back eventually at, at all the good in the season. And, and so, you know, I, I have fond memories of that team and that season and, um, it's so hard. Like I said, it's so hard to get there. You gotta, you, you have to take some time to just appreciate it. Well, coach, we'd like to end here on a fun question. Uh, if I asked, uh, kids that played for you at Hartwick college a couple of years, 10 years ago, and I asked kids that played for you this year, at Franklin and Marshall, when they're doing their coach Nache impression mm-hmm. and they all have it, what's the one thing they say that you say over and over again during practice or a game? It could be something funny, something instructional. Usually most coaches ones are out of frustration. Yeah, that's a good one. I, I <laughs> guarantee I have them. I, I should have asked them today. After um, but uh I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, at F and M, we're we're defense all day, every day. So like, stop. I don't know. I probably me just begging them to get stops or build three straight stops, something. You know, like it, we we just uh, it, it would probably be something uh, on the defensive oriented. I would say if the I the word stop I, would be in it somewhere. The, probably. It, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I I don't know. That's what something I'm going to have to ask the guys on Wednesday. <laughs> What, what what's something I always say? You know what I'll do? I'll ask my. I probably should ask uh, our assistant coach. Yes, but, yeah. the assistant coaches know it. They definitely know it. The assistant coach would know it, and he would feel comfortable enough to tell me. You know, because <laughs> the guys might have somewhere. It's like oh, I don't know if I want him to know. That's that's. <laughs> I control the playing time, so they be very careful with what with what they're saying to me. So. Well, I, I can imagine that assistant coach might look at you kind of funny and be like, really? You don't know what you say over and over again? It's what you say. It's stop or it's get a stop or step over, <laughs> or, you know, take a charge. What are you talking, you know, whatever it is. So, yeah. We'll have to yeah. get you to report back to us, whatever it is. All right. <laughs> so, um, Coach Nache, Franklin and Marshall College have been Googling as we've been talking here. Absolutely gorgeous campus fnm.edu and godiplomats.com encourage our listeners to check it out all the great things that you have going on up there and uh we just can't thank you enough for coming on the greatest games this has been a lot of fun yeah no guys i really really appreciate it. this was fun always good to talk basketball in, in some ways this gives a, a little more uh, sense of normal here in a year that that's been anything but you know being able to just sit down and talk some hoops so i really appreciate it um you know, uh, obviously, uh, to anyone listening, give, give uh, the diplomats a follow here moving forward. And uh, if there's anybody out there that's ever interested in, in uh, connecting with me, feel free to reach out. Uh, love to expand uh, the coaching network any way I can. And if there's any way I could help anybody out there, I'm always happy to. We, we love that. We uh, have had that theme on this podcast about just giving back. And that comes, comes through loud and clear. Uh, in this episode, Coach, uh, we just can't thank you again for, for for coming on this show. But let's go ahead and wrap this one up for my co-host, Chris de Blasio. I am Brian Rosefield, and thank you for listening to this episode of The Greatest Games.